Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. All right, all right. The series Ozark has come to the end of its run. We will never again hear Ruth Langmore's complain about effing Morty. Although I guess we could just go back and watch a rerun. We want to hear, hear her say effing Morty. She had a particular way of pronouncing that name. We're going to talk about that in our second segment. There will be spoilers then. Not now. Then there'll be spoilers. Now we will be talking about whether, in fact, your life is almost being spoiled because you've been spoiled by so much prestige television that it's spoiling your life in the other sense. Uh, There's an awful lot of things out there right now. Last night, I'll just give you sort of a sense before I introduce the panel. Last night, we watched one episode. We discovered a new episode of Under the Banner of Heaven had dropped, or as I refer to it, Mormon Spider-Man. So we watched Mormon Spider-Man, and then we watched Jeopardy, because there's another phenomenon going on there. And then we were done. But, you know, most nights, it's kind of like, for us, we're, in terms of new stuff, we're we're following We Own the City, which is the new David Simon, George Pelicanos thing. Um, we started out a range, but I think we stepped away from it long enough so that we have to watch the first episode all over again, because we don't remember what happened. And meanwhile, there are these classic, or not classic, but these incredibly exalted series, uh, like Ozark, like Atlanta, like Better Call Saul, that are reaching the end of their runs. So complicated. So here to straighten it out for you is Rebecca Castellani, the co-founder of Quiet Corner Communications and a freelance writer. Jacques Lamar, playwright, director of client services at Buzz Engine. Brian Slattery is arts editor of the New Haven Independent, a producer of WNHH Radio, a musician, an author, probably some other stuff I don't even know about. He also works for, he launders money for a Mexican drug cartel. That's the thing that I left out. <laughs> that's uh, the main gig. That's, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, the, the, the Balkan band is a front, you know. Uh, for sure. <laughs> um, all right, so, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about this incredible inundation. Um, and and I, just to say, I'll say one more thing about it, which is some of it may be kind of a perfect storm here, if that's the right term. Uh, you've got a bunch of series that kind of slowed down a little bit, because of COVID, uh, in the case of Better Call Saul, slowed down also because Bob Odenkirk had a heart attack. So they've been sort of sitting in the pipeline ready to go. New stuff is coming along. We're all. It's also May. May 31st is the end of Emmy's eligibility. So people are trying to, you know, so Laura Linney's trying to bang her head against a car <laughs> window so she can make sure she gets another, uh, another Emmy. Uh, and... Also, just some players entered the market with a lot of money. I mean, Apple Plus does not have to worry about how much TV shows cost. Um, But we've also seen Netflix kind of take a hit lately, uh, have a stock wobble. So, Rebecca Castellani, just, you know, from a user's point of view, how does that feel? It feels exhausting. Um, I consider myself a fan of peak TV. I remember distinctly being in college and sort of hearing that term for the first time used to describe the conflation of Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones before it was ruined. The Walking Dead had just come out. All these shows that were really gritty and high production value and great performances. And since then, it's really just felt like a sprint of more and more fantastic television coming out all the time and having 
a harder time talking about any of it because everyone is either watching different things or they're not watching at the same cycle. And there is just too much to choose from. So when I finish with a long day and go to Netflix or Apple Plus or Hulu or wherever else I am been drawn to that evening, I usually spend about half an hour just crippled by indecision. Like, do I start severance? Do I, oh, Atlanta's dropped a new episode. Got to watch that. Under the banner, the staircase I just found out just dropped. I want to see that. I mean, there's just so much that I get so overwhelmed and end up just watching The Sopranos again. <laughs> it's a dilemma. Not a terrible choice. So, Brian Slattery, I sense you're you're dealing with this by maybe stepping a little bit away from the TV set as opposed to Dave being in some kind of David Cronenberg yeah. thing where you walk right into your TV set. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I th- I think it helps. It helps that I um I sort of developed this habit as a teenager of, of like you know everything just seeing it's, it's not about whether it's new to everyone. It's about whether it's new to me. So like if something. <laughs> Something like so I haven't heard something from the 1950s. I was like, "Ooh, it's new music," <laughs> and you know that's the that's the approach that I'm taking. You know, I'll get around to these things when I get around to them. They'll still be good. You know, yeah. like the good things will still be good. And I just have a really long list of TV that I need to catch up on. Um, you know, meanwhile, I've just been doing a lot of hiking and gardening. <laughs> but it is really nice, actually, like because I'm 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 everybody else gets to sift through the the material and then just tell me what I should be actually paying attention to you know and then that's that's been really nice because it seems to be happening very fast yeah I think Thoreau did the same thing you know he would just <laughs> he would wait and he would say to Emerson yeah. he would say to Emerson or Margaret Fuller or something that's right is there something the I should donkey be? Cart yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what anything I should be paying attention to because yeah 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 absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Jacques, how about you? Uh, how's the flood of content, uh, the content wars? How, how are they going for you? You know, oh, I've been a bit behind on things. Like, I was a, a was late to the Ozark party, which I know we're going to be discussing in greater depth. Um, so I actually just started watching that maybe three weeks ago. Um, and with, and like Succession, I just watched you know, again, late to the party, although now we have to wait however long uh, for new episodes. I mean, for me, the stressor is, is the need to have all of these little bespoke channels that you pay separately for mm-hmm. um, yeah. to be able to watch. So, like, I've heard great things about Ted Lasso, but I don't have, what is it, Apple TV? Yep, that's Apple Plus, yep. Yeah, um, you know, there are things that I want to watch on Paramount Plus. There's things that I'll want to watch. You know, it's be like one show, and I don't want to have to, you know, download or pay or wait, you know, figure out the free trial and hope I don't mess it up. Um, so there are things that I'd like, I'd like to see. And I was just watching trailers for. Um, the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show that's coming on Disney plus. And um, I'm excited about the Lord of the Rings prequel and the game Oof. of Thrones prequel. And fortunately I have all the channels for those. So I feel protected <laughs> and insulated, but well, it well, is a little bit stressful. Right. There's also, in addition to Obi-Wan Kenobi, there's a Star Trek thing uh, that's coming out, I think right along about now. Uh, so yeah, I mean, basically t- Television wants Brian Slattery's beans to die in the garden. He does. They don't. They, <laughs> they does. don't. They don't want him out there they, watering. 
I should I should also mention that I think that we we talk about it like it's a whole rise in quality, and it's true that there are more quality TV shows. But I think we also need to pay attention to the fact that there's also more trashy TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like some of those. Same. <laughs> so, I think those are just as important as a as a part of this whole phenomenon we're talking about. Hey, listen, like, we did a whole nose episode about F Boy Island, so don't tell me about trash television. Anyway, oh, yeah, did Carolyn, I mean, make you like, do that. Like, yes, one of did. the shows that I've binged the most is Trailer Park Boys, which I would, <laughs> would defend to anyone. So yeah. I was excited that the Circle is back. On yeah. See. See, now, I, I, I also sort of wonder how, I mean, this seems unsustainable from a lot of different points of view, including ultimately the point of view of the platforms themselves. I mean, it's, you know, they're, the, the pieces of pie that they're going to get are going to get smaller and smaller. And, you know, people look at their credit cards and they think, well, this can't go on. And, and one of the things they haven't done is develop such, such platform-specific identities uh, that, I mean, Rebecca, it's not as though you can go, well, I've really kind of decided I am. And I'm like Apple Plus and Hulu. That's my yeah. two. It's your new star sign. I'm a sun, That's Apple, right. and a rising Netflix. <laughs> exactly. You know, but it isn't really like that, right? There isn't no. anything about HBO Max that would necessarily say, okay, if you get that one and maybe one other thing, you're okay. Yeah, part of me thinks it's just going to be a full circle moment. We're going to go back to cable packages like you bundle multiple services because it does not seem sustainable that you keep having to shell out a separate subscription for each of these things, especially when you only watch like one of the shows at a time. Like I find that I have canceled Hulu. God bless Hulu probably 20 times. Like I'll sign up for it, renew my subscription, watch the one show that month that they're dropping that I want to see, and then I'll ditch it. And it's just exhausting. And it doesn't feel like, it feels like the bubble's got to burst at some point and they're going to have to restructure this, especially with what's happening with Netflix right now. I just think there's a lot of consumer fatigue. Netflix talked about adding ads and, you know, kicking people out if you've got people using your password, just making it so complicated and the barriers get more and more difficult to access all of this great content. So I just feel like there's going to have to be some sort of solution, whether that's a literal cable package for streaming. I just feel like that's where it's going to end up. Right. And Rebecca, I just want to stay with you on this for a second because I think you're, you're probably closer to my position, uh, the position I'm in right now, than uh, than the, the other two. Uh, there's also the problem of when do things drop? It's like you oh. almost have to, like, I have no, it's not like everything drops on Sunday nights the way it used to, right? I mean, you get yeah. a new We Own the City whenever. You get a new, you know, Slow Horses whenever. I, I have no idea. It's like, it's like I almost need to develop an entirely separate calendar so I'll know when there's a new episode. Why haven't they started notifications for this stuff? I mean, yeah. that seems like a no-brainer. I was driving to a wedding in Virginia when I realized that the Ozark second half was out. And I was like, well, now the weekend is ruined because I just want to be watching Ozark. <laughs> like, I don't want to be at your wedding now. It, it's very stressful. I need a reminder system. It's also the length in between some of these seasons. Like Jock said, who knows when Succession is going to come back. I find that I have a terrible general case of hiatus brain. And I've had to go back and either watch select episodes or in the case of something like Succession where there's not a ton of them, I'll just rewatch all the seasons in preparation for the new season because I get so confused with the amount of prestige television I'm watching that it all just kind of blurs together, which is not great. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about that too. Hiatus Brain, I think, was coined by one of the culture writers for uh, for NPR. And, and it does refer to the fact that some of these things, I mean, Jacques, when you and I were growing up, 
you first of all, there wasn't that much television to watch anyway, so you didn't have trouble keeping track of it. <laughs> but also, you know, you would watch a whole bunch of episodes, and then it would be summertime for about three months, you know, and then whatever it was that you were watching would come back, and you were like racking your brain to go, gee, what happened on Mannix, you know, at the end of last season? Gee, I cannot remember what the subplot with Peggy, his secretary, is right now. You know, I mean, there wasn't anything like that, uh, and that's another part of this, right? These things go away for like two years. Yeah, well, and, and you know, and we binge them, so we consume them much faster than we used to. I mean, you know, there are certain exceptions with like HBO Max or whatever, mm-hmm. where, where we're, you know, uh, forced uh, to to wait a week, you know, between episodes or what have you. And I, I um, sometimes wonder if that's the better course or something. <laughs> but I think with, you know, with, with old timey TV, you know, there was a, there were a few serials that you really had to, you know, where the story continued from week to week, right? It was oftentimes, you know, separate cases. If it was a detective show or, uh, you know, sitcoms weren't necessarily reliant on having watched the previous episodes to be able to enjoy them. So, you know, for these things that have a sustained narrative, um, you know, it, it makes it and you would then you'd have whatever 20 some odd weeks of a show and then it would be in repeats and we don't do repeats anymore right arguably the beginning of prestige tv at least for me was twin peaks which was on the networks i think in the late 1980s i've actually lost track but because it was the only prestige tv and and it did it spilled over from episode to episode and it was full of allusions you know and and complications and so you really had to pay attention the good news was you didn't have to pay attention to anything else so i mean there's nothing else that was kind of operating on that level so you were just fine so yeah brian slattery i just discovered i thought Hiking and Gardening was the name of the new Kristen Bell project on Paramount Plus. But <laughs> I, actually, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I didn't realize it was, these were activities you were actually doing. <laughs> you know, I thought this was like just another series that you were actually watching. So yeah. I, I, I'm sensing, and this is like the second time in two days or something that I've interviewed you. We were recording an interview for a, another show earlier this week. You seem like you're in a really good mood these days. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're a good poster boy for just not watching so much of this stuff. So there's a, there's a double-edged sword, of course, to it, which is that I don't know what most people are talking about um, anymore, <laughs> unless they want to talk about, you know, hiking and gardening. But the, um, yeah, I, I have to say, like, the, 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 the not trying to catch up has been pretty liberating. And um, I, I cut back. If we're going to talk about this, I <laughs> stop me if we aren't. But I we cut are. back on a lot of this kind of stuff, including just like hanging out on social media, mostly because I I didn't like what it was doing to my own brain. I could I could kind of feel my attention span, you know, getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and I was you know more irritable and all of those things, and I I just didn't like it. So, um, yeah, I started to <laughs> do a lot less of it, and yeah, it it has actually dramatically improved my mood and i I'd, i don't think everybody um has that reaction to it i mean obviously there are a bunch of people that just love it it's the ocean that they swim in and all of those things like i'm not here to judge them 
but I do think that for I think that there are people like me where it's it's a good idea to do less if you know if it's not doing anything for you. I mean, like like the way that I put it at one point is that you know it's like I felt like I was putting more energy into it than I was getting out, and um, <laughs> I figured I'd flip that equation a little bit. I hate to tell you, but that sounds incredibly familiar to me. I mean, that that sort of rings uh, true. I mean, one of the things I've been asking myself, Rebecca, and it sounds like maybe you have too, is like well, in the words of Marie Marie Kondo. Do all these shows spark joy in me? <laughs> or do I actually need to yeah. Marie Kondo my prestige television closet? You know, I yeah. mean, like I just reflexively embrace the next thing that comes along. Oh, the yeah. staircase. I'll just watch that. Yeah. I mean, I think I also have to like let go some of this stuff. Like I watched the first season of Russian Doll and then I went and tried to watch the first season of the second, first episode of the second season. I was like, you know what? This isn't really sparking joy like the first season did. So I'm just going to let it go and maybe I'll come back to it. As Brian pointed out, none of this stuff goes anywhere. It might navigate from one platform to the other. But at this point, you just shuffle them around, get what you need. So I, I like that take, the ability to sort of just not be overwhelmed by watching it in the immediacy letting it settle, coming to it after everyone's decided, is it worth your time or not? You know, a lot of these shows, you can't really decide right away. So I, I like that approach. And maybe I will try and uh, better my mental health as well, Brian. Who knows? <laughs> that said, can you believe I haven't seen The Sopranos? I mean, I hadn't watched it until COVID. That was my big COVID yeah. watch. So no, it's, it's a like, thing. It's, watch it's it. sitting out there waiting for me to see it. Oh, I'm, and it's I'm glorious. sure I'm going to love it. Like, I'm sure. I am 100% sure. You know, but. It's sitting out there like a demon in the sun. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for it. Just it waiting for it. Yeah, well, you know, actually, I, I think there's a whole episode of The Nose someday in stuff that each of us hasn't seen. Mm. I, I was thinking about that today because the new, the new Top Gun is coming along. I've never seen the first Top Gun. I know as an American, really? I'm required to have seen the first Top Gun, but I never saw it. And, and How I'm did a, you avoid it? I know. I, I, I Well, there's something, about, there's something about 1986 because I also have never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What? Uh, I know. I know. I love See? this. Colin. Well, See, how come, we're more similar wait a minute. How come Brian didn't get yelled at about The Sopranos? But no, I'm, getting I, I'm with you. Because I'm with Brian. I just did it myself. But yeah. like, I mean, even I've seen Top <laughs> Top Gun, and I don't even like Tom Cruise or airplanes. <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen Top Gun. Wow. I've uh, never seen Forrest Gump. <laughs> well, I don't think you're missing anything. People get <laughs> mad about that, though. People they do. Shouldn't. Well, I get mad at people. That's I, not so, a good movie. Yeah. It's fine. So I was, okay, good. <laughs> I was teaching this year uh, down at Yale and uh, in a sem- uh, se- teaching a seminar. And the, what it's like teaching at Yale is that one of my students – is was a sort of a co-winner of an Oscar, um, and so, <laughs> casual. So, um, That's great. so That's great. I'm thinking. So I'm teaching. I'm, te- I'm getting paid to teach you. That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it turned out she. Let me tell you how media works. Yeah. So it turned out she'd never seen The Godfather, and I was sort of. I said, "Well, oh. you have seen The Godfather." Now they're making series about making The Godfather. That's another thing I haven't watched yet. But uh, I said, you know, you just as an American, you have to have seen The Godfather. Also, if you win any other Oscars and you go to the after parties. And you haven't seen The Godfather. It's just going to come out at some point, you know. But- also, she could then cop the move of not showing up, you know, for the acceptance speech. <laughs> exactly. But Go you know, old school. But Jacques, that raises that kind of question. Like, what's canonical? You know, what do, what do you have to have seen? There's a way in which, as Brian is suggesting, if you haven't seen Ozark or Breaking Bad or whatever we decide is sort of part of the conversation at any given moment, you might be left out of people fulminating about it on social media, although that doesn't feel like a gigantic loss, you know. <laughs> but I mean, like, maybe there's just nothing you really have to have seen. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there are certain things like Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, there's always like that one show, whether it was whether it's the Cosby Show or. Um, of course, both the Cosby Show and Game of Thrones have been yeah. ruined. Have not um, aged well. <laughs> but in different yeah, ways. I'm, yes. I'm talking about like the really zeitgeisty thing. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think The Sopranos um, has got to be up there. I mean, that's that's yeah, a touchstone. I, 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 like, I, that was another one I was a bit late to, but I have, I did watch, I did binge it, I think after it was over. Right. Um, and it was on for years. So, but I do feel like, yeah, there are those certain things where, you know, especially when the quality is so high that it's just, you know, um, like I feel sort of left out and sad about not watching Ted Lasso because everyone's about it. And at the same time, I'm not so sad that I'll go and download <laughs> All those people who are putting believe signs up on the wall around your room and stuff like that. They've watched Ted Lasso. That's a Ted Lasso. That's that's the real problem is the kind of the secondary joke. Yeah. You know, like if you've yeah, never watched The Godfather, sure. then there's like a hundred things, references that you will just never get. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, this is the business we've chosen, which is something I say a lot. Um, you know, I there mean, there's something a few weeks ago where everyone was like wishing wishing you a certain something day. And I had to go and look it up and it was from a movie. Oh shoot. What was it? It was like someone's name day. Ah, well, you know, I mean, even in, in news events. So this is, this is one that I would have drawn a blank on, but uh, during all of the Bill Clinton scandals in the nineties, one of the people who surfaced as one of those scandals was a woman, I believe her name was Catherine Willie. Uh, and she was one of the people alleging a kind of groping incident with Clinton. And there was a moment where she and her family at some, you know, hearing or something paraded by the press and the press was kind of calling out and asking people, you know, all of them who they were and what their names were. And one of her sons said that he was the sausage King of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> Um, which is a Ferris Bueller joke, but I yep. didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> so it's like if you want to like understand the culture you're living in, and I would put the Sopranos in that category. However, just to sort of circle back to how we got into this big mess, Brian, you almost wonder if the Sopranos came out today, whether there would be so much pressure on you to have seen it at some point, or you it's would feel great, any pressure. Yeah, it well, is a great question, right? Because I think that I think that we have definitely lost. I mean, this has been said thousands and thousands of times for the last 20 years, but we've like, we really lost the like that, um, you know, the idea of a, of a, something of a, even like a mainstream culture, you mm -hmm. know, it's, I feel like there's like six or seven mainstream cultures, <laughs> you know, like, that have just enough participation in them that like you, you know, if you want to make that like the, you know, the water you swim in, it's there to do. And you can talk to like, you know, the thousand other people you need to talk to, to, to like participate um yeah I, I the other the other part of that that i think about a lot is the the sense of like how quickly these things get processed so that things that seemed good to us then um suddenly aren't quite as good right. <laughs> because they get you know they they just get uh whatever was good about them people pick up on and and in many ways improve on like that engine is working so fast right now and it makes for a lot of really good stuff and it's it's very exciting. At the same time, um, yeah, it's temp it's tempting to imagine that I would start watching The Sopranos and think, you know, these other five TV shows have already done this maybe a little bit better, <laughs> you know. 
Absolutely. Well, we should probably take a break here. I will just sort of end this by saying, kind of fits into what Brian was just saying, that one of the questions on Twitter that was being circulated around this weekend, our producer, Jonathan McPants, was was trolling me with that question, but um, is what's what's a TV series you wish there were one more season of? You know, and, and, you know, it's, I mean, given the glut right now, it's hard for me. I mean, Firefly would be my answer, but I mean. Yes. Obviously, there's no other answer. No, there's, if you're big pants, there's all these pathetic Sorkin things. Uh, (laughs) I I used to feel that way about Twin Peaks, actually. And then I. Boy, did I get what I wanted, huh? (laughs) (laughs) All right. We got to take a break, so we'll have time for Ozark, Shakespeare uh, in in Missouri. One nation under God has turned into one nation under the influence of one drug. Television, the drug of a nation. Reading ignorance and feeding radiation on television. The drug of the nation. Reading ignorance and feeding radiation TV. Its satellite links are United States of Unconsciousness. Apathetic, therapeutic, and extremely addictive. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. All right, just a quick reminder, if you have never watched Ozark or if you have not finished Ozark and you plan to either watch or finish Ozark, you must flee. Fly, fly you fools, in the words of Gandalf, uh, who's not in Ozark. Just I don't mean to confuse you even more. But we are going to talk about the final season of Ozark. Uh, Rebecca Castellani, Jacques Lamar, and Brian Slattery are here to do that. Um, so where to begin? Well, first of all, let me just kind of remind people this is the story uh, of an accountant uh, played by Jason Bateman, uh, who is laundering money uh, from the, for, for a Mexican drug cartel. He's doing – this is not Breaking Bad where this, you know, as the title even suggests, this kind of clean living school teacher turns into a drug lord. Uh, when we first meet Marty, Marty Bird, Jason Bateman, he's already laundering uh, money for the drug cartel. His wife, Wendy, already knows about it. They're already somewhat accursed. Uh, and we'll hear just a little bit about uh, what happens uh, when the – this is the first episode. We're not spoiling anything. Uh, when the representative of the cartel, a guy named Dell. Uh, played wonderfully by Asai Morales, uh, starts talking to Marty Bird about the fact that there's some money missing, there's a problem, he's going to have to do something about it. Here's how that conversation goes. Yeah, I'm short. $6,950, but it is not, it's not a problem. What did I tell you? I've already sold that car, but I also have a minivan that I haven't sold yet. And this, it's a Honda Odyssey, it's, it's 
top-ranked minivan in the U.S. Blue Book on it is twenty-seven thousand dollars. I get the cash. I'll buy the Odyssey space. from you for twenty-seven. So I owe you twenty thousand. Take that from the cash, and I'll lease it back to you for, say, a thousand a month. Now I want you to take my seven million nine hundred and seventy-three thousand with you to Missouri, and clean it. Clean it. Uh-huh. It's, it's clean. It's already clean. I have to see that you can do it. I'm torn, Marty, between intrigue and thinking this whole Ozark thing is complete and utter straw grasping bull****. But I'm willing to roll the dice because you're special. Really is special. So, uh, Brian, maybe just begin with, I don't know, let's say that uh, in a reversal of the role that you were describing in the first segment here, you were the person sort of talking to somebody else on social media saying, well, here's why you should watch this. Here's the virtue. Here's the allure uh, of Ozark. What would you say? Um, I feel like this is a pretty easy sell. Um, It's, I mean, it's first of all sort of impeccably written and impeccably acted like the 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 acting in it ranges from um truly excellent to like pretty uniquely superlative (laughs) say like in the case of like laura linney who gets to do everything you know all the time the um the 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 part that i really liked about it was this what what felt like a sort of commitment to some level of of realism um in the way that it felt like a little bit of an antidote to some of the gangster things that we see where things happen like very quickly and very sort of almost frivolously, you know, people come into fortunes very quickly and they lose them very quickly. And Ozark is more about the sort of like the grind and the complications of setting up anything criminal. And it's, 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 you know, part of the reason that um, people try to go legit when they're criminals is because it's easier. Like it's, it's, it's easier to follow the laws than it is to break them. And when, when operations reach that level of, you know, whether they're too big to hide from the authorities, um, things get really difficult. And Ozark is really good at talking about um, how difficult that is and what the fallout of it can be. And then, you know, that's sort of like mapped on top of the, you know, the really interesting sort of power dynamics within the like the, the various families that we get to see like that's where the shakespearean aspect of it comes in you know it's sort of about people's ambitions and the way that people's ambitions can sort of like wreck their lives <laughs> you know if they're not careful about it um so there's kind of like a lot going on it's i mean it's it's it works really well on a kind of like on a number of levels and it makes it you know worth it makes it worth watching and thinking about and you know, uh, for me, it made the details pretty easy to remember, <laughs> you know, from uh, when we talked about the hiatus thing, I found that I could sort of keep it all straight, mostly because, um, you know, it's just really well done. And we don't even thought, oh, yeah, how did we get here? I could, I could <laughs> remember those things. So, yeah, I mean, Rebecca, there's so much going on that if we just tried to sit here and explain everything that's going on, the show would be over and we wouldn't have said anything else. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a, but the, I think one of the things that's going on, this is also very much about a marriage and about a nuclear family, a husband and wife with their two kids. Uh, they happen to be 
<laughs> living a very li- life very differently, a life of not even very quiet desperation uh, as they try to just navigate this incredibly complicated landscape. And it's very much, I think, also about the dynamic between husband and wife. Marty, you know, begins as this kind of R2-D2 running around just locking down problems and another one pops up and he locks that one down. And, and eventually Wendy, uh, Laura Linney, begins to sort of say, well, no, what if we went, instead of doing that, instead of just solving problems, what if we went really big here? <laughs> uh, what if we went in the other direction? Uh, and that's fascinating to watch. But Rebecca, I think we have to also just talk about Ruth Langmore, played uh, by Julia Garner, who in a way started to almost take over the series near the end. Yeah, I always have wondered if it was always intended to have this shift to be more about Ruth and Ruth's journey than about the birds, um, which sort of started happening around season three when we get into Ruth's relationship with her father. Um, and I've always wondered, was that the intent from the beginning or is Jason Bateman a very smart man and realized very quickly, you know, this is a powerhouse and the performance that she's doing is career defining. Um, and I think this is just the beginning for, uh, Julia Garner. I think she's just an absolutely fantastic, emotive, just powerful, powerful actress. And to me, Ruth's story was what kept me coming back. I have... Yeah. I mean, I've really enjoyed Ozark. It was one of those shows, though, that I would forget about in between seasons. And then I'd have to be like, wait, okay, who's okay? Dell's around. Oh, no, he's not around. And now Helen's in charge. Like there was just a lot going on. And in the early seasons, I got a little sick of it being like, all right, this is just the same. Like Marty gets into trouble. Marty uses his charm and his wily ways to get out of trouble. There's some fun dialogue. There's some sad juxtaposition. But as it went on and we started really occupying more of Ruth's headspace and sort of watching Ruth come into her power, she's always had a power, this like unbridled, raw sort of anger. But to watch her learn from Marty in real time and react to Wendy in real time and change her outcomes based on that was just such a delight to watch. And at its core, I think Ozark is most successful as a story about people and a story about characters. And it is at its least successful when it tries to like make some sort of comment on the morality of powerful Americans and the birds as a symbol coming in and preying on the community. I mean, there's just, we've talked about on the first time we talked about the show in 2017, about how irritating I find that title card that sort of spells out the symbols of that episode. Like when it's leaning into that side, I don't love it as much, but when you're focused on the characters, when we're focused on Ruth, when we're focused on Wendy sort of unraveling and winnowing up her power and her attention, that's when Ozark said it's best. And I think that this last season really did a wonderful job of showcasing particularly those two actresses and the stories that they brought to life. Right. One of the things I was thinking about today is that this is a little unusual in terms of prestige TV. and There isn't really a David Chase. There isn't really a Vince Gilligan here. This is, I mean, Jason Bateman has kind of been in control of this thing since the beginning, but it was a spec script from somebody else, and then somebody else wrote something else, and then Chris Mundy was picked up from Bloodline to be be showrunner. There isn't like one vision, so it it kind of allows maybe a lot of different competing visions uh, to compete for, for our attention and plot dominance. So, Jacques, I've got to know, what was it like to do it all in a matter of all four seasons uh, in a matter of a few weeks? Um, you know, it was it, it's such an intense show. And any time that the actors or the characters achieve some moment where they can breathe, something even worse is around the corner for yeah. them. <laughs> 
And yeah, always. So, like the stakes <laughs> just keep getting raised. And that's one of the things that I thought was really kind of brilliant about the show was it's just they, A, there are these amazing character arcs, right? Especially Wendy, uh, Marty, the kids, and, and Ruth, um, where they transform completely over the course of four seasons. And being able to watch that all in a very condensed amount of time was really quite a tribute to the quality Something just happened, Jacques. You just, uh, I hope the Mexican drug cartel hasn't burst through the door, but you just kind of faded away from us somehow. Oh, I'm sorry. There you are. You're back now. So I want to just take the temperature of all of you about how this ended. Um, not just the very final moment of it, but there's a way in which I think sort of the almost the valence of the series shifted a little bit earlier on first couple of seasons i was reminded today of how frequently it was kind of funny you know and and it was funny because a lot of these people are very gifted i mean jason bateman kind of made his bones in comedy uh but you know even even watching laura linney walk down mm. the path uh, with their two kids as they just moved into this lake house in Lake of the Ozarks and seeing Harris Eulin as their neighbor. Uh, and she and, and her daughter says, Mom, why are we here? And Laura Linney, without missing a beat, says, because your father was laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. I spit you not. Hi, Mr. Dykins. You know, <laughs> you know and there's like this kind of, uh, yeah. there, there's this kind of, but, you know, I don't know, Brian, I feel as though this became a darker and more thoroughly tragic thing here in its final season. I think so, too. Um, but at the same time, like, I, I, I think that that was always there, right? Like, I think it always gets compared to Breaking Bad, which in some ways is fair. Um, in other ways, it's not, though, because I think mm. that, like, Breaking Bad's, it, the, the way that they depict violence, for example, like, Breaking Bad's violence was often, like, so crazy, and so over the top that it kind of made it made for some sort of absurdist comedy. Like the, I always feel like like that second episode when they're like yep. a body in the bathtub. Yep. Like it's, it's just it's like a Rube Goldberg machine, and it's <laughs> hilarious at the same time that it's horrifying. And um, Ozark never did that with the with the violence in the show. Like the violence was always kind of very matter of fact, and therefore it's simply horrifying. Like it, it felt very realistic. Um, and so, like, I think that in some ways they, you know, they, I think that they realized at one point that, like, well, you know, this, this humor thing, maybe we don't have time for it in the final season. <laughs> you know, there is a lot to wrap up. And uh, I think part of it, I think part of it is simply that, that they had just so many balls in the air by the time they get to the last season that there's a sense of, like, well, we got we to gotta just do this, you know, tie up all these loose ends. There's not enough time for jokes, right? <laughs> but at the same time, like, I don't think that they ever made, I don't think that was ever sort of a priority. It felt like, the, I think earlier on, like, the humor was a way of making it not the most depressing show on television. <laughs> you know, it was uh, rather than something that was kind of, like, built in as a feature. Like, Ozark's worldview is not a, an absurdist comedy, right? Like, Ozark's worldview is a, you know, terrible things happen when you do terrible things, and they terrible things will continue to happen to you. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, Rebecca, how, how about you? Just, just how, how did, I won't even try to aim the question more than to say, how did this fourth and final season feel? I liked it a lot. Um, I do feel there was a little bit of fan service happening in a little bit. I think, you know, I think you pointed this out in the emails column that Rachel returning didn't really feel the most necessary to me. Um, 
but I think on the whole, it was true to the characters. I loved Jonah's arc. I have loved watching him separate himself, try so hard to separate and just be sucked back into the craziness of his parents. Um, as much as I, I literally watched the final episode an hour ago, so I'm still just emotionally Whoa. devastated. Um, and I'm not going to go too hard with the spoilers. So I don't want to ruin that gut punch for anyone that is listening but hasn't seen the last episode. But I think that having it be an ending that sort of affirms all of the themes of what the show has never shied away from as much as it's tragic and devastating. That's what the show has always been about. It's been about the birds coming into this community, manipulating the people and leaving them worse off than they found them while profiting off of it. And I think that I shouldn't be surprised that it wasn't a nice tidy ending where everybody gets what they deserve and it's happily ever after. There was never going to be a happily ever ever after from the minute the birds rolled in with their number one safety rated Honda Odyssey. It was just never going to end well for anybody. And it's tragic, but you know, a lot of my favorite plays Shakespeare wrote are tragedies. So it's, it's, I think it will be remembered as a good ending to a show. Maybe not the like critical praise that the ending of Breaking Bad had, but a strong ending to a very strong and a very enjoyable show. Yeah, I mean, it's a Shakespeare show. It kind of went from Macbeth to, at the end, it's like Titus Andronicus or something. Yeah, I literally. Mean, yeah. I mean, if you yeah, make a yeah. list of everybody, all the characters, and then start crossing off the ones who are dead at the at the ending, you don't really have too many people left. Uh, I mean, Except like the a, baby and yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, and and three is obviously obviously going to get a spinoff series now. He he now <laughs> it's owns what he deserves. He, he owns all this land in the Ozarks, <laughs> presumably. You know, he's got he, a pool and a lake, yeah, so he's got it all figured he out. He can open his own resort. It's going to be great. So, um, the, uh, <laughs> whatever the, what, happened to the baby? The baby gets dropped. Zeke is the name of the baby. He yep. gets dropped off at a police station. Um, I, I don't know if he that. might get his own series in about five, six years. You know, it's going to be raising Arizona with three and Zeke. Uh, or if if, oh if Jacques Lamar takes over as showrunner, I think could see baby Zeke being in the next Honey Boo Boo. You know? Oh, uh, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. That's too much. Uh, but so, Jacques, how about this? Uh, how about it for you? I just want to say one last thing to Rebecca, which is that, I mean, I've gotten to know you uh, fairly well over the years, at least in terms of cons- consumption of culture. I can pro- <laughs> promise you a week from now, you're still going to be upset about how this thing ended. Uh, you're still <sighs> going to be thinking about it. You're going to be thinking specifically, I think, about how in the first season there was a lot of talk about the, like the parents were really worried. The birds were really worried about Jonah. Was he going to turn into a school yeah. shooter or something like that? And he wasn't. He was like this pretty innocent kid, but, yep. he's, but he isn't anymore. Anyway, Jacques. Um, so I don't know. I mean, how, yeah, you you didn't have to wait for years to get to this particular point. But how did the denouement land for you? Um, it felt a little rushed. Uh, I kind of feel like it could have benefited from maybe another episode. Uh, you know, by the time that that Laura is back at the at the mental crisis center for the third time in the single episode, you could tell they were really kind of pushing things along um, to to wrap, you know, within the allotted number of episodes. And I felt that, that you know, same way about Game of Thrones, that it was like, oh, we're in the, we're in the uh, end run here, so we've got to tie things up. But that being said, you know, there are things that they, you know, characters late in the game, like Camilla, who um, was introduced, you know, midway through the final season, who still became an incredible presence. And so um, I wasn't disappointed at all, uh, other than wishing maybe they had given a little more. 
All right. So uh, we're going to go take a break. We're going to make some recommendations when, when we come back. I just did w- want to give a couple of quick shout outs uh, to some other really great acting. Uh, I believe her name is Lisa Emery, played Dar- Darlene Snell. Really a fascinatingly layered uh, a performance as like this total psycho, this person who would do anything at any moment. But somehow or other, she just, Archer, right? she just found some other stuff, you know, uh, found some other stuff to do with that character. And Richard Thomas, in this brief, not particularly necessary role uh, as Laura Linney's father, really does have what has one of the just archetypal scenes for this thing. This scene where kind of his his inner evil comes bubbling out of him uh, under the uh, under the pressure from from Ruth. So. Uh, Yeah, a lot to enjoy in terms of acting. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll make some recommendations. If you ever change your mind about leaving, leaving me behind, We're back. Time to thank Kat Pastor. She's on the board as our technical producer. Jonathan McPants produces pretty much all episodes of The Nose, including this one. Thanks to both of them. Time for our panel uh, to make some recommendations. Uh, Brian Slattery, why don't you get us going? Um, so there's two things. Given that we know nobody watches any shows that anybody else watches, um, <laughs> the other one that we've been binging around here is The Great, which I feel like mm. I don't know anybody else that watches this show. And it's uh, it's his it's a, a absurdist comedy about the um the the reign of Peter the Great slash no sorry Peter's son Peter the Great's son Peter and Catherine the Great um st- with some like really like boffo great performances from Nicholas Holt and um <clears throat> especially Nicholas Holt so that's the one and then the other thing to mention is that um with the pandemic sort of letting us open our doors again every band you know is on tour right now so um it's a good idea to see if your favorite bands um is playing near you because now is your chance uh it's it's i I think i have more concert tickets lined up (laughs) this year than i've had in you know past 10 years because everybody's hitting the road and it's all it's very exciting it's an it's a cool time to be a a music fan so Uh, look at your listings and see who's coming. Right. Quicksilver Messenger Service playing in my deck tonight. I don't think we're sold out either, so uh, give me a call. <laughs> um, Rebecca Castellani, how about you? Okay, so uh, my first endorsement is basically an endorsement that Teresa is trickling down through me. Um, it is a 9 to 10 minute show on Netflix called Old Enough. It came out in the early aughts. It's a Japanese show and the premise is very simple. It's toddlers, two and three year olds, going on errands unassisted and followed by cameras. The first episode is a little boy who's uh, about to turn three, who's got to walk three quarters of a mile across a main road to pick up three things at the grocery store. This premise couldn't be any more simple, but if you are in need of a good serotonin bump and just some happy, joyful laughter, I highly, highly recommend Old Enough on Netflix. It's pretty much all Teresa and I talk about, and it's fantastic. So couldn't recommend that enough. Um, and then I want to co-sign on Usman's endorsements from a couple of weeks ago. I believe he endorsed both Abbott Elementary and Atlanta, both of which I'm really, really enjoying. Abbott Elementary in particular is just very, very funny. Apparently, Donald Glover 
said that he's just incredibly jealous of the showrunner, that she's also the main actress um, have, for creating such a fantastic show. It's really funny. It's in sort of the vein of like workplace documentary, Office, Parks and Rec, but a little a little bit more serious. It's fantastic. Yeah, Not, at, then, all, not at all connected to the governor of Texas. Uh, all right. So um, we're going to go to Jacques Lamar right now. Uh, what have you got for us, Jacques? I'm reading a wonderful book uh, in advance of a conversation I'm having with the author next week for the Twain House virtually, and it's called Go West, Young Man by B.J. Hollers. Uh, and he takes his um, his uh, six-year-old son on a road trip along the Oregon Trail. And it's, you know, about fathers and sons. It's about American identity. It's about what happened uh historically, not only to the uh, people who are emigrating on the Oregon Trail, but also the Native Americans. And it's really uh, quite a wonderful, warm and insightful book. Oh, well, when you get done with it, find somebody that you can borrow Paramount Plus from so you can watch 1883, which is kind of, which is a really good series uh, and uh, and is all about sort of immigrants trying to go up the Oregon Trail. Okay, so uh, speaking of the Twain House, I am, I'm terrified. I have not been out in public for literally in two two years plus, but supposedly I'm interviewing Don Winslow on stage uh, next week at the Twain House. I do recommend his, um, the book that we'll be talking about. It's called City on Fire. Uh, He's done a trilogy of books during the pandemic. The first one based on the Aeneid. I mean, these are all contemporary books. This one is about the Irish mob or Irish criminals fighting with Italian criminals uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, The next one goes out to California, I believe, is based on the Odyssey. And the final one goes to Vegas and is based on the Aeneid, uh, but all in contemporary settings. Uh, And Winslow is just a terrific writer. This is, it really is a pretty engaging book. It works totally as you know, as a thriller, but there's sort of there's some real interesting thinking in there too, uh, that's very much influenced by his reading of the classics. So, wow, that uh, C- great. City on Fire by Don Winslow. Yeah, and then he's also said that that's the end of his writing career when this third <laughs> the third book of this trilogy comes out. He is all done as a novelist, which is kind of an interesting decision too. Wow. I don't even know how you make that decision. Uh, well, tickets thanks. For that. Tickets yeah. for that are only ten dollars, yeah. and um, and you are invited to not breathe on Colin McEnroe. Right. You, <laughs> in all seriousness, you got to wear. A mask if you're coming. Uh, like I won't even do it if you're not all wearing a mask. So um, thanks very much to this wonderful panel, uh, to Brian Slattery, to Rebecca Castellani, and to Jacques Lamar. Thanks to Kat and to McPants, and we'll be back with an all-call show on Monday. You know how those are. Oliveberry, Woodberry, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.